0: tuned into that deity though let the assembly know we worship god in the flesh his name is jesus you know oh we can open the word this is the truth we can show planting a seed in your brain trust to a prayer for the grow the son of god is the most high when that don't fly they come at my neck like a bow tie <laughs> from the throne to the manger the mystery of god sent himself as the savior Right, what's going on everyone? Uh, welcome to episode 1 of That Deity Though, um, an apologetics podcast focused on the deity of Christ and the Trinity. I am your lone host, E.C. Holmes, a.k.a. Yes, that's my real name, and I have two forms of ID to prove it. <laughs> um, I guess this is just going to be an introduction. Um, I would like to share just a little bit about myself. Obviously, everyone doesn't know who I am and also the purpose behind this brand new podcast. Um, let's just get this out of the way up front. Yes, my name is E.C., just two letters. It doesn't stand for anything. It's it's not initials. It's just my name. It's on my driver's license. It's on my birth certificate. Um, it's on my passport it's on my social security card and so you just got to deal with it that's my real name um, and so stop asking me (laughs) but um, again a little bit about myself Um, I'm a husband and a father Um, I have a beautiful wife named Virginia Um, we've been married since 2010 been together since 2004 we got history Um, we have two beautiful little girls Um, I also serve as a deacon at my church in Lancaster. It's about 35 minutes from here. It's called The Gathering. Um, We're a real small body, uh, maybe 50 people, um, but we love the Lord and we love his people. So if you're looking for a church and you live in the Lancaster or York area, come check us out on Creedy Avenue. I believe it's 22 Creedy Avenue in Millersville. Uh, Pennsylvania. Um, I serve there, like I said, as a deacon. Um, I teach every second and or every second Sunday of the month. I teach Sunday school, so it's been pretty dope serving there um, and getting to know everyone in in uh, Lancaster. Um, Also, um, I don't have any type of degree or any type of official background um, in Bible college or seminary, and so I'm not um, coming to you as some expert. I'm just a normal believer who loves God's word and I love his people Um, i do call myself a theologian because i believe that um all christians ought to be theologians because we ought to be studying god um that's what theology is it's the study of god um and so we are all theologians um also some people might know me um from my christian rap days um i still do a little bit of it if you listen to the intro um of the podcast that's me on there um i haven't done an album in a couple of years now um, but i've released five albums um going back to 2007 um and so where's that at right now as far as music um i'm not so sure um but right now i'm on to different things i'm focused on my family and my church um and now this new podcast and so uh, why do we need another podcast there's millions of podcasts out there right Um, Why should you listen to me? What do I have to offer that's different? Well, one, um, this podcast isn't going to be the best podcast out there. Um, (laughs) That's not my aim. I just want to be faithful to what God has put in my heart. Um, I do want to shout out some podcasts that you guys can listen to, because like I said, there's tons of podcasts to choose from. Um, When you think about Wrath and Grace, uh, shout out to Wrath and Grace. Um, They have um, a network of podcasts, Um, one which is the Wrath and Grace podcast, the very first one. Um, You got Pastor Luke and uh, Nick and uh, I'm going to forget his name. (laughs) But anyway, you got you got those guys who um, do a really good job at breaking down the scripture and do cultural analysis, stuff like that. You also have the Basement podcast, which is within their network with Pastor Los. Um, And then you also have... um, uh, cross-examine with kirk kennedy and abner um strack um they do a dope job um they're more of a um they focus more on hip-hop and they also do tie different things into into the podcast as far as the biblical worldview for the females you got Sheologians, you know what i mean you also got the bar podcast which is now a network where they have uh they have sidebar um they have just thinking And so you can tune into those. Um, Just a couple more. You have The White Horse Inn, which for a long time was my favorite podcast. I encourage you guys to check them out. They're very balanced. They have on pastors from different perspectives. So you might have on uh, Presbyterian. And then you might also have a Lutheran on there, both speaking on a specific topic, and you get to see the balance and you get to see the unity that we have as brothers. Also, check out the briefing, the dividing line. Like I said, there's so many. I can go on and on, and I'm always going to miss somebody like cultish or cross-politic. But these are all dope podcasts. Um, And so why am I podcasting? Um, Well, after making music for about 13 years, I realized the biggest impact actually happens Um, with the one-on-one interaction, um, more so the interaction that you have off of the stage where you can actually engage people and you can listen to the questions um, and you can hear the concerns that they have in respect to scripture. Um, Just to give you an example, um, I was opening for a Christian rapper named Seven. Some of you guys might have heard of him from Hog Mob, but he was in Columbia, which isn't too far from York where I live. Um, But after I got off stage, I met a guy. He was local. He lived there in Columbia. Um, I don't remember who approached who. If I went up to him uh, once I got off the stage or he came up to me um, to tell me he enjoyed the music. um, But I asked him, did he know Jesus? Um, he claimed to know of Jesus, but he struggled. He struggled with this perception of how black people became Christians to begin with here in America. Um, but at that time, I was able to share just a little um, with him about what actually happened historically, which wasn't anywhere close um, to what he had, what he came to believe at the time. Um, but we actually in, ended the meeting there. Um, we meeted up for breakfast, um, I think just one time. But it wasn't too far after that first encounter But we met up after that We spoke in greater detail about God um, And 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 I tried to answer whatever questions that he had And um, it was a real dope time I think God blessed that conversation um, Last time I spoke to him Which was uh, last year In 2019 He told me that he's working towards becoming a pastor And so I was very encouraged by that And so um, it was pretty dope to be able to do that And of course, I'm not saying that um, you have to choose one or the other, right? I believe that you must do both. Don't leave it all on the stage because more work needs to be done, right? And this is an area um, that concerns me because there's tons of Christians. Uh, I'm going to have to get my podcasting voice right so I don't trip over my words. I guess that comes with time. (laughs) But um, there's tons of Christians who have questions and they want real answers. Also, you have Christians who know the answer. But at the same time they have questions (laughs) um what do i mean by that Um, i'll answer this question by sharing why i started this podcast that deity though um there was definitely a seed planted a while back um, and it's just now sprouting into this podcast but it all started probably a little over 10 years ago um a friend of mine came to my house and he was super excited about um, this new information that he learned, um, some information that he he had recently embraced. and And it was teaching him that Jesus wasn't God and that the Trinity wasn't biblical. But I knew it was wrong. I realized it right away. But at the same time, I didn't have the ability to tell him why I didn't agree with him or why I thought his views was wrong. Um so we went back and forth. Um it was passionate but respectful at the same time. Um but what I realized is this. Knowing the right answers isn't enough. We have to know the biblical foundation for all that we believe. We can't rely on the word of our pastors alone, right? We can't rely on the words of myself, right? everyone listening to me you can't rely on my words alone right but what we believe must be rooted in scriptures scripture we have to be bereans we have to study to show ourselves approved um i realized i needed to study more after that conversation i needed to understand these things deeper um after a while i began to grow i realized that many christians um, were ignorant just like i was when it came to certain key doctrines and tenets of uh the christian faith But um, I began hashtagging different verses that dealt specifically with the deity of Christ. Um, If you guys will look up that hashtag on Facebook or Instagram, it's not a whole lot. But um, what will happen is um, I will be reading the scripture. And I will come across a verse that blatantly and and was super plain um, and obvious about the deity of Christ, that Jesus is God. So I will post it with that hashtag that deity, though. (laughs) But um, after having so many conversations um, about this issue, so many people would ask me, why is this topic so important? Um, and my response is always the same because it's about who God is, which is the most important thing that there is to know or to question. Is God triune or not? That's a big deal. Is Jesus God or is he not? Uh, that's a big deal also. Right. Is the Holy Spirit God? Was Jesus created? All right. Or or ha- has he eternally existed alongside the father? These are questions that we cannot agree to disagree on. This is a salvation issue. Um, So this doesn't mean that um, you have to understand the Trinity perfectly to be saved. Right. (laughs) There's great mystery behind the Trinity, just like there's great mystery behind God being eternal. You can know enough to grasp and understand and to recognize it that is true but you won't know it perfectly necessarily and so this is a matter of whether or not we believe in the God of the Bible or in a false God at the same time uh, the issue isn't in perfectly understanding the Trinity like I said the issue is in rejecting it and believing a doctrine that creates a false God and let's be honest if Jesus isn't God we're talking about a completely different person if God isn't triune we're not talking about the same God And so the Trinity is essential because it is what and it's who God is. It is how God works in creating. It's how God works in salvation and and even how he interacts with his creation It's how he moves in the world and in our hearts. Right. And so um, that's just a little on that. But we'll we'll get into uh, the doctrine of the Trinity. I want to make an episode about that. Um, But I want to wait until I get a little bit better at doing this podcasting thing and being able to put together my outline more thoroughly. Um, That's one of those things that you can't miss on. And so I want to make sure when I um, when I do a podcast on that, that I'm completely ready um, to share my views on that um, and what the scripture says in respect to the Trinity. Um, But these are some of the reasons why. I believe this podcast is important. Um, like I said, there's a lot of good ones out there and I encourage you to check them out. Um, just rewind it and, and look up the ones that I, uh, that I spoke of earlier. Um, but I don't know of any podcasts um, specifically that deal with the divinity of Christ or the Trinity. And if there is one out there, now you guys uh, have two. Um, and so a little bit more about that deity, though. Um, I do have a little bit of a mission statement for it, and um, it's an apologetics podcast seeking to glorify God by encouraging and equipping Christians to learn more of Christ and to make him known in the world, specifically dealing with the divinity of Christ and the Trinity. And so the purpose of this podcast, for one, um, is to glorify God. Two is to equip Christians and um, just to equip believers to do two things. One, that they will learn more about Christ and that they would take that information and make Christ known in the world. And all of this is done by the focus on the divinity of Christ, the Trinity and the implications, uh, the implications of this biblical fact. I mean, since this is the introduction, this is episode one. Um, I would also like to share briefly about the logo design. (laughs) Um, One thing that bothers me is not understanding a logo or or graphic for some company. Um, Sometimes it's my own ignorance, but other times it might have never been broken down publicly. Um, So I would like to take a couple minutes, uh, a minute here to do that. And so when you look at the logo, um, you'll see that you have the throne in the manger. Um, I did bite off of uh, (laughs) Wrath and Grace just a little bit. Um As you can see here, they have the lion and the lamb kind of um, within one another in the design. Um, and it's symbolic of the lion of Judah, right? The, the wrath of God um, that will be displayed in his righteous and just judgment. Of the wicked, but then you also have Christ, who is not just the the lion, who's going to judge the sins of the world, but you also have Christ, the Lamb, who came and laid down his life for the sins of the world. And so you have that idea of the wrath and grace, this balance within uh, within the Godhead, um, within Christ as well. And so when I wanted to get this logo done, I wanted it to be representative of Christ in in a layered way. And so, when we talk about the deity of Christ, right? So, you have this throne, and you have the manger within the throne which is is symbolic of the hypostatic union. Um, That's just a theological term that describes the eternal son of God taking on humanity in a very literal sense. The son of God is God yet entered into um, history, as we see in Philippians chapter two, um, verse five through verse eight. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross and so this is to serve as a reminder right as we think about his divinity don't forget about his humanity and all the implications right the necessity of the incarnation which means jesus coming into the world as a man to bring about salvation for humanity Um, Also, as you think about his um, humanity um, and the purpose of his life, the purpose of his death, the purpose of his resurrection, don't forget about his divinity, that it was God who came down. It was Emmanuel who tabernacled with his people to make the ultimate sacrifice, as we read in verse eight of Philippians chapter two. Now, just a little bit. um, That's just a little bit about myself. Um, And the purpose of the podcast, the logo. Um, But before we get into our topic for today, I do want to take some time just to give a few shout outs to some key individuals who helped me um, put the podcast together. It was definitely a learning curve to get behind, um, to learning about different aspects of how to do this. And so first I want to shout out um, a member of uh, the podcast, a podcast that I named earlier, The Basement Podcast. And that is Pastor Juan Carlos. We call him Los. And so um, shout out to Los, man. He did a lot to help me um, to kind of get this thing together. He taught me some different things about the kind of mic that I use or that I need to use when it comes to podcasting. Um, I've recorded music for years and I'm used to a condenser microphone. And so um, the thing about a condenser microphone is um, it picks up the entire room. And so whatever little sound that you hear across the room, if you have a fan running, if there's cars passing by outside, if it's raining, It's going to pick up those sounds in the mic. And so he put me on to why it's important to have a dynamic microphone. And for those watching on video, you'll see the difference when I'm talking directly into the microphone. And then you'll hear how it picks up the sound as I talk to the side and when I go across the back. And so with this type of microphone it works perfectly for podcasting because it's going to focus on my voice and um he did a lot to help me out when it came to that he also gave me feedback on camera angles um what's going to look good what's going to look bad um and so he also gave me confidence um And he said, you can do this. You know what I mean? He gave me confidence to know that this is something that I can do. Um, And so shout out to Pastor Los, Pastor Juan Carlos. Check out the Basement Podcast. Um, The second person I want to shout out is Dwayne Atkinson. Um, He's from the Bar, I guess I need to say the Bar Network now. Um, Really dope brother. Um, He hit me up a while back on a a Facebook story that I shared. And he asked me if I was doing any music. And uh, I told him. Um, I wasn't doing so much music these days and um, we went back and forth a few messages not a whole lot but he did tell me in the end he said if you ever need anything hey hit me up and I'll do whatever I can to help and uh, so the beginning of the year when I thought about launching this podcast um, I was like hey no better person to hit up than this guy right here. So um, I messaged him. He hit me back like within a minute and uh, we were on the phone a couple times or just messaging back and forth a lot. And um, I picked his brain on some of the same things, microphones and, um, you know, different things, different aspects about um, podcasting, the do's and the don'ts and, you know, kind of the things that um, I need to know up front and to prepare for. He put me on to Anchor. Um, which is an application for podcasting Where you can post your podcast there And they will actually distribute your podcast To all of the different streaming services And stuff like that So I'm looking forward to using that And um, and so that was that was because of Dwayne I, I wouldn't have known about that at all I would have probably learned um, years down the road Or months down the road at least So um, shout out to Dwayne Atkinson Man I appreciate you brother um, Also how many of you guys Well, I guess everyone's seen it now. Um, The intro video was um, shot by my homie, um, Ryan Rossum. Um, He's into film and directing and shooting movies. Um, He's been doing it for quite a while. And um, so he moved down to Atlanta um, years ago and um, he's just been visiting for a little over a month, uh, the beginning of the year. And he had hit me up just to let me know that he was in the area and he was like, bro, I got a new camera. need any video work because i would love to see how this camera works and i was like yeah i got an idea of um how how you can test that camera and uh so he shot the intro video um i had a little bit of an idea about what i wanted he made it better um he came through shot it edited the video um and he didn't charge me at all it was a it was a true blessing and so um, now we have a dope video to go with what I believe is a dope intro song that touches on the the key aspects of what the podcast is about. And so shout out to Ryan Rossum on the video. And then last but certainly not least, I want to shout out my brother, Jesus Peña. Um, A.K.A. Chewy, everyone calls him Chewy, but um, he's a dope brother, man. He's a graphic artist. He does banging graffiti. Um, he used to freestyle. I don't know if he can still freestyle or not, but um, he was he's pretty dope, man. He's a good brother. But I have reached out to him a while back because um, if you've ever seen any any logos or designs that I've had, it was probably him that did it. And so I had reached out to him to let him know about the podcast. This is what it's about and, um, you know, how much you're going to charge me for um, a logo design and stuff like that. And um, he he thought it was a dope idea, um, so much so that he was willing to get behind it. And he was like, whatever you need, any kind of graphics you need, just let me know. I want to be a part of this. And so moving forward, whatever graphics that you see, um, probably all of them will be from him. And he's totally doing this on the strength of um, thinking that this is a good idea and that it's going to bless you guys who are going to be viewing this or listening to this um he's also been um, my account- accountability um he he's helping me he he's actually helped me to um stay on track and to um help me think through these these different ideas that I had and um he's been providing dope feedback also and so in my eyes um while he's not the face of this podcast um it's just as much his podcast as it is mine. Um, and I truly believe that, and so shout out to this brother man. Um, the best part about all of this is that it was him. <laughs> it was chewy, it was Jesus. It was Jesus Pena who came to my house over ten years ago um, he 's the one that planted that seed that was sprout all of these years later and turn into this podcast um, and by the grace of god he 's long since abandoned those views and he embraces the biblical view of the divinity of Christ and the Trinity. Um, I know he's not a camera person, neither am I really, um, but maybe one day we can have him on here. I think it would be important for him to share his views about that situation um, and about why it's important for Christians not to just know what we believe, um, for for us to know why we actually believe those things. Let's go ahead and jump into our topic of the day, which is titled Jesus Who? Um, we're not going to dive super deep into it, um, as, you might, as you might notice. Uh, this is our theme and the purpose of the podcast itself. So this is more to set a stage and to lay a bit of a foundation for what you guys can expect moving forward. And so why did I title the first episode, Jesus Who? Well, simply put, oftentimes when people speak of Jesus, I don't know who they're talking about. <laughs> Everyone has their own version or this different version of who they believe Jesus to be. Uh, one thing that isn't seriously disputed, though, is whether or not he existed. It usually comes down to what we believe about him. In fact, the major non-believing scholarship you'll find in non-believing historians actually recognize the fact that Jesus really existed <laughs> believe it or not i'm um, to give you one example we're going to listen to a uh, we're going to listen to a clip um from an interview by npr where they interview bart ehrman if you guys never heard of who he is who he is he is a historian and professor of religious studies at the university of north carolina chapel hill he is not a christian Um, He has strong views against Christianity and the Bible. Um, He's arguably the leading textual critic against the Bible, yet he affirms the reality that Jesus existed. Listen to this.
1: It's Weekends and All Things Considered from NPR News. I'm Guy Raz. There are probably few people in the world who know more about the life of Jesus than Bart Ehrman. He's a New Testament scholar at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, where his lectures are among the most popular on campus. And though Ehrman's not a particularly religious man, he's often puzzled by a question he gets asked. Did Jesus exist? So he decided to answer that question in his new book, and fittingly, it's also called, Did Jesus Exist? Bart Ehrman, welcome to the program. Thank you. Let's start with a premise of, of your question, because I, I hope I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not giving anything away. Your answer is yes, Jesus did exist. Yes, that's <laughs> um, right. Uh, You don't have to get to the end of the book to get to that answer. But why did you feel like the question needed to be answered at all? I mean, is it in serious dispute?
2: The deal is that uh, every week I get two or three emails from people asking me, did Jesus exist? Hmm. And uh, as I started doing some looking into the matter, I realized there's, there is a large contention of people, uh, largely on the internet, but also writing books, claiming that, in fact, Jesus uh, never did exist, that he was completely made up by the early Christians. And I wanted to approach that question as a historian to see whether that's right or not. A lot of the arguments don't really count for anything. I mean, the fact there's no archaeological evidence for Jesus doesn't doesn't, matter. Doesn't really matter because there's not archaeological evidence for hardly anybody who lived in this world—Abraham, and uh, on and on. on. Well, or the 60 million people who lived in Jesus' day. So what I do in the book is I marshal all of the evidence. Um, The Gospels were written 40 or 50 years after Jesus, but they incorporate earlier written sources, and they're all reliant on oral traditions. And you can actually translate some of these Greek traditions in the Gospels back into the original Aramaic of Jesus, and they make better sense, which means these were traditions floating around in Palestine. Moreover we have the writings of the Apostle Paul, uh, who was writing before the Gospels, and who converted to be a follower of Jesus just a year or two after the traditional date of his death. He
1: knew Jesus' brother James.
2: Yeah, Paul knew Jesus' brother James, and he knew his, his closest disciple Peter, and he tells us that he did. And if Jesus didn't exist, you would think his brother would know about it. <laughs> so I, I think I think Paul uh, probably is pretty good evidence that Jesus at least existed. You contend that had he actually been invented by pagans
1: at the time, they would have turned him into this powerful figure of grandeur that was like shooting laser beams out of his his fingers rather than a man who was crucified.
2: The messiah was supposed to overthrow the enemies. (laughs) Right. And so if you're going to make up a messiah, you'd make up a powerful messiah. Like a superhero. A superhero. You wouldn't make up somebody who was humiliated, tortured, and then killed by the enemies.
1: My guest is Bart Ehrman. He's a professor of religious studies at UNC Chapel Hill, and he's got a new book out. It's called, Did Jesus Exist? And if you're wondering what the answer is, it is yes. Um, Bart, I, I, a few years ago, I downloaded a series of lectures that, you know, are available in these, like, you see these ads and magazines, great courses, right? And I downloaded your series of lectures on the life of the historical Jesus. And a lot of people listening will know you. I mean, you are the guy. You're the expert on on the life of the historical Jesus. So how are we able to build as accurate an account? of? This?
0: Now, to be sure that I haven't taken his words out of context, I will provide a link in the show notes below this video. Um, for those listening via podcast app... Um, You can go ahead and Google when you get a chance, Bart Ehrman, spelled B-A-R-T-E-H-R-M-A-N. And just just go ahead and look up Bart Ehrman NPR interview. And to be sure that you have the correct discussion, it's about his 2012 book titled Did Jesus Exist? The Historical Argument for Jesus of Nazareth. Um, And so just so you know, I'm not taking them out of context. I did chop it up just so I can get the point across. But you can go ahead and check that out for yourself. It's only about eight minutes long. Um, And so you can see it's a fact that Jesus existed And what many will dispute is whether or not we should take what he says seriously. Right. Is it literal? Um, Is it simply something that we can just hear about and just ignore it? Um, To paraphrase C.S. Lewis, the idea that Jesus is either a liar, right? He's not being honest about who he is. He's just trying to mislead us on purpose, right? The other option is he's a lunatic, meaning he actually believes these crazy claims that he made, but he's just delusional. Or he's exactly who he claimed to be, and that is Lord. And if he is, and he is, we ought to take very seriously what he says about himself and about us. I mean, the weeks to come, that's what we'll get to the bottom of, um, because, again, um, there are many different different views about Jesus. And not to say that all of these, these different versions are equally true, um, but we need to know the difference between the truth and the almost truth and the blatant lie. And so every second and fourth Wednesday, I plan on breaking down who Jesus is from a variety of angles. Um, one, we'll look at what does the father say about him? Well what does Jesus say about himself Right What does the disciples say about him What did they teach and believe concerning Jesus How do did the demons respond When they encountered Jesus And how would that help us to understand who he is I also plan on digging into some extra Biblical sources um, Non-Christian or Christian That just means sources that are outside of the Bible They're not um, They're not inspired by God um, But these are sources uh, These are people who wrote about christ um back during the time where he lived are pretty close to those events and um, we're also going to look into um church history what what did the church believe about christ is it something that kind of changed and evolved over time or do we believe what early christianity actually taught concerning christ also we're going to look into some songs that we sing all the time that testify to the deity of christ why is that Um, lord willing we'll get to all of this in the weeks months and my prayer the the years to come but first let's take a little bit of time and um i just want to consider want us to consider what different people teach concerning jesus um we're going to start out with mormonism um some of you guys might not know this but mormons actually teach that jesus is the spirit brother of lucifer Jess L. Christensen in the book, I Have a Question, in June 1986 on page 25, if you want to look it up, it says this, On first hearing, the doctrine that Lucifer and our Lord Jesus Christ are brothers may seem surprising to some, especially to those unacquainted with latter-day revelations. But both the scriptures and the prophets affirm that Jesus Christ and Lucifer are indeed offspring of our Heavenly Father, and therefore spirit brothers jesus christ was with the father from the beginning lucifer too was an angel who was in authority in the presence of god a son of the morning It says, see Isaiah 14, 12 in Doctrine and Covenants, chapter 76, verses 25 to 27. It says, both Jesus and Lucifer were strong leaders with great knowledge and influence. But as the firstborn of the father, Jesus was Lucifer's older brother. It also shows that in Doctrine and Covenants, chapter 93, verse 21. Also, Journal of Discourses, volume 6, page 8, and the Gospel through the Ages, page 15 it says this jesus and satan are spirit brothers and we are all born as siblings in heaven to them both crazy stuff um also mormon doctrine here we go page 193 in journal of discourses volume 6 page 8 it says a plan of salvation was indeed A plan of salvation was needed for the people of the earth. So Jesus offered a plan to the Father and Satan offered a plan to the Father. But Jesus' plan was accepted. In effect, the devil wanted to be the savior of all mankind and to deny men their agency and to dethrone God. Which is some crazy, crazy stuff, right? Some of you guys never heard this before, but this is what they teach. I'm just going to look into one other aspect, um, the conception of Jesus. What do Mormons believe or teach about the conception of Jesus? Now, I will say this. Every Mormon that you come into contact with will not believe everything that Mormon doctrine might have taught throughout the years. So when you talk to people and you engage them, you have to let them explain what they believe and not just assume that you know everything. I'm just highlighting what Mormonism teaches. Again, this this isn't what all Mormons believe. But Bruce McConkie. If that's how you pronounce his name, in the promised Messiah, pages 41 or 467 through 468, he writes this in the year 1987. It says, This and so it is with the eternal Father, and the mortal birth of the eternal Son. The Father is the Father, is a Father. He is not a spirit essence or nothingness to which the same. Father is figuratively applied. I actually think I messed that up. Let me start over. (laughs) The Father is a Father is a Father. He is not a spirit essence or nothingness to which the same Father is figuratively applied. And the Son is a Son is a Son. He is not the same transient emanation from a divine essence, but a literal living offspring from an actual Father. God is the father. Christ is the son. The one begot, the one begat the other. Mary provided the womb from which the spirit Jehovah came forth, tabernacled in clay as all men are to dwell among his fellow spirits whose births were brought to pass in like manner. There is no need to spiritualize away the plain meaning of the scriptures. There is nothing figurative or hidden or beyond comprehension in our Lord's coming into mortality. He is the son of God in the same sense and way that we are the sons of mortal fathers. It is that simple. Christ was born of Mary he is the son of god the only begotten of the father um you'll also see this in um journal of discourses volume 8 on page 15 the birth of the savior was as natural as are the births of our children it was the result of natural action he partook of flesh and blood was begotten of his father as we were of our father uh, we can go on and on about what Mormonism teaches about Jesus, but we only have so much time. And so um, that's just a little bit of what they teach. Um, let's consider what Islam teaches. Um, while Islam has a high view of Christ in respect to the honor he deserves as a servant of God in the recognition of him being sinless, they deny that he is the son of God. Um, they deny that he is the son of God in the divine way. And their view of him isn't derived from the Bible, which is the reason why Jesus isn't recognizable to Christians or anyone studying history from their from their perspective. Um, Jesus is, pu- is purely or merely a prophet. Um, you can read in Surah chapter five, verse 75. It says Christ, the son of Mary, was no more than an apostle, apostle. Many were the apostles that passed away before him. His mother was a woman of truth. They had both to eat their daily food. See how Allah doth make his signs clear to him, to them. Yet see in what ways they are deluded away from the truth. Also in Surah 4 verses 157 through 158, it says this. They that said and boast, we killed Christ Jesus, the son of Mary, the apostle of Allah, but they killed him not nor crucified him but also it was made to appear to them and those who differ therein are full of doubts with no certain knowledge but only conjecture to follow for of us uh for of a surety they killed him not so not only is he merely a prophet or apostle but his death is also denied ignoring all primary resources that we have in historical foundations um this is a jesus that paul would not have known he would have said jesus who what jesus are you talking about i'm um, in first corinthians chapter 15 verses 3 and 4 he says this for i delivered to you as of first importance but i also received that christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Paul and Muhammad have very different foundations for what they would believe concerning Jesus. Paul's foundation is the scripture. Muhammad's is not. And so the death of Christ is a fact so much so that Paul goes on to say if Christ stayed dead, right? If he stayed in the grave, we are the most to be pitied because we would remain in our sin. There will be no sacrifice. But since Christ has been raised, we have the reason or we have a reason for this faith that we have, right? We have a reason for this hope within us because Christ was the first fruit of what's to come. If you guys understand anything about the first fruits, when you think about a farmer, when they spend time sowing seed and, and tending the land, um, when the time comes for harvest, they see that first fruit that sprouts and there's hope and there's joy that comes from that first fruit spouting because, you know, harvest is near. And you know that since the first one has sprouted, all that you laid seed for will indeed sprout. And that's the hope that we have since Christ, since Christ was raised, we have hope that we, too, will be raised um and so that's just a little bit about what they believe Um, i don't want to get ahead of myself um but for the sake of time let's just continue when you think about jehovah's witnesses um i'm not going to spend a lot of time here either because you'll actually see this or listen to this play out in episode two but jehovah's witnesses also have a very different view of jesus um this might be news to some people but they actually teach and you can look this up on their website which is jw.org Um, you can look this up it teaches that uh they teach that jesus is michael the archangel right they teach this they would say it like this though michael the archangel is jesus in his heavenly role um jehovah's witnesses also deny the trinity and believe jesus was created by the father which is why you see the translation difference in uh john chapter one verse one in colossians chapter one i believe also in actually not in hebrews i don't believe but in various different um verses you'll see a difference in the way that they translate um uh what it says about christ being god in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god in their translation the new world translation it says in the beginning was the word And the word was with God and the word was a lowercase g God. Um, And so more on that in episode two. Make sure you tune in. I promise uh, you won't regret it. Um, I'm not going to go through a list of every religious persuasion, um, but let's consider one last category. Um, What about those who are non-religious? What about people who would label themselves as just spiritual or even atheists and agnostic? Um, What they would say is that he was a good teacher, right? He was a good moral teacher. Um, They would follow him for these moral reasons. They enjoy stories about him. They recognize his humanity while denying his divinity. They wouldn't mind the, the question, what would Jesus do, right? But don't necessarily see a reason to take their relationship with Jesus any further than that. Um, however, in practice. This is actually um, probably the more dominant view concerning Jesus. Uh, most people just look to Jesus as a moral figure. Even some believers don't bow the knee to him in worship and as Lord, but they just look to him as a moral teacher and they just want to be like him, but not necessarily submitted to him. Um, but I, obviously all of this begs the question, right? OK, EC you're telling me what all these other people teach me about Jesus. Um what do you believe about Jesus? Um what does what do you believe the Bible teaches about Jesus, right? And so I think that's a good question, right? So who is Jesus, right? Is he the brother of Lucifer? Is he merely a prophet? Was he created as Michael the Archangel or nothing more than a good moral teacher? Who is this Jesus, right? <laughs> that's perhaps the most important question, a question that we must not just know the answer to. It's not just enough to know of him, but we must know him. This is a term of intimacy, a term that destroys what's above the surface and it digs to the bottom of our very being. He will say, depart from me. I never knew you. Now ask yourself this question. Is there anyone who has ever lived on earth throughout all time that Christ doesn't know about? Obviously not. So when it says i never knew you he's saying you have no spiritual connection to him right another in another text he would say who is my mother and my brother not the one who's related to me by blood this is a paraphrase but the one that does the will of my father in heaven so to know jesus is to be united to him spiritually to know the father is to be united to him spiritually and this union happens through the holy spirit um there's a trinitarian action and we'll get to that again in later episodes. Um, but, but again, the purpose of this podcast is for you to know the true Jesus of the Bible, not simply to know about him. I um, mean, as you learn about him, my prayer is for you to be empowered to share him with the world. Um, this will be our main focus every time. And we'll get into other topics for sure. But the main topic of every episode will be surrounding Jesus. Um, but why is that? Why, why make a podcast Exclusively focused on Jesus. Well, go ahead and turn, if you have your Bible, to Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. It reads like this That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible. Arguments. All right, so let's break this down. How should we understand this verse, and why is it even relevant? Well, first, let's look at the aim. Um, right there in the beginning, beginning verse, Paul wants the believers to do two things. One, they want the believers. He wants the believers to be encouraged, right? He wants us to be encouraged, and two, he wants us to be tied together in love. Um, it sounds nice, right? But what's the purpose of this unity? Well, he says to reach. Not just assurance and knowledge, but full assurance in the knowledge of God's mystery. Well, that brings the question, what is this mystery that Paul wants us to have full assurance and knowledge of? Well, that mystery is Christ. But why? Why is it important for us to come to full assurance and knowledge of Christ? And why is this called a mystery? Well, one, because it is in Christ who is the primary And supreme authoritative source of all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge right Two, this hidden knowledge and wisdom has been revealed to us in christ it's not a hidden um it's not a hidden mystery anymore it has been revealed in christ's coming to the world and the things that he taught and if you have this wisdom and knowledge because christ has been revealed to you verse 4 no one will be able to mislead you with arguments that on the surface appear to be true in christ you have dove into the depths of knowledge and wisdom so you won't be drowning in shallow arguments that people will bring to you so who is christ he is the revelation of god in the flesh and through his person his life his death through his resurrection and his intercession on behalf of the saints all there is to obtain must be found in him knowledge begins with Jesus. Truth begins with Jesus. Understanding begins with Jesus. And so to know Christ is to have complete assurance, understanding, knowing Christ is to have knowledge. And so logically we conclude to reject Christ is the very opposite is to not have these things, right? You can't have assurance. You cannot have understanding. You cannot have knowledge apart from Christ. And this is the definition of a fool, right? And we know what the Bible says about fools in both Psalm 14:1 and Psalm 53, 1. It says the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And so if you lack wisdom and knowledge, you cannot know God. If your wisdom and knowledge isn't from Jesus, you cannot know God because Jesus is the greatest way God has revealed himself to the world. Simply put, Jesus is God. Well, this concludes episode one, the main topic, Jesus Who. Thank you for listening to That Deity, though. Wisdom and knowledge revealed. excited to be here. Like you said, I come from the gathering, so I greet you on behalf of everyone at the gathering. We have a special place in our hearts for you guys here at Christ Alone Fellowship. Um, we're excited about what God is doing here, and we actually pray for you guys quite often. And so it's actually encouraging to be here, and it's also humbling to be here anytime we open up God's Word and, and dig into it, and especially if you're in a place of teaching it, um, it's a humbling and a very serious um, thing to do. And it's also the highest honor, I think, for a pastor to ask you to stand in his place and bring the word before a people that he has been called to shepherd over. And so I'm very grateful um, to be able to do that today. And so we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're just going to be in one verse today. And we're going to read a lot of scripture today. I hope that's okay with you guys here. I already know it is. Um, Los told me that I have a half hour. I usually do five to ten over the speed limit, so.
2: <laughs>
0: but I promise it'll be less than an hour. I can guarantee you that. And so the text reads at one Corinthians six eleven. It says, "And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God." Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for gathering us together uh, once again um, to gather around those who have been called out of darkness and into your light. Um, Lord, we're grateful for the salvation that we've been gifted um, in light of what Christ has done for us on the cross. So, Lord, we come together today to celebrate that, um, to encourage and challenge and edify one another. Lord, I pray that you would use me to do that today in your word to encourage your body with your gospel. Um, The gospel that doesn't only have the power to save, but it encourages us to something that we continue to go back to. And it informs the way that we ought to think and live our life. So, Lord, I pray that you would do that today. I pray that we would see the greatest miracle there is, and that is in you saving an individual from darkness and making him or her a child of your kingdom. So, Lord, I pray that you would do that today and that you would use me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And so here, um, the letters that we see Paul writing or the letters that he wrote to Corinth are, I believe, they're very interesting on different levels. Because in it, we find so many different theological truths that us as Reformed, we place a major emphasis on today. Think about 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. And if you're taking notes, you might just want to write down, because I'm going to be, like I said, I'm going to be um, going from a lot of different scriptures and a few times I'll give you an opportunity to turn there. But for the most part, I'm just going to read it. 1 first Corinthians chapter 12, verse three. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And so what we learn is that the spirit of God affirms Christ to us and through us. To us, because it is the Spirit who points us to Christ as the blessed Son of God. And through us, because it is in the Spirit of God that that he puts in us, that he puts this truth in our hearts and on our lips to even utter the words, Jesus is Lord. Um, William Branch said it like this. The filling of the Spirit is to produce in you the declaration of the excellencies of the one who called you out of darkness. And so salvation is the work of God by his spirit through his son to the glory of the father. First Corinthians chapter three, verses six and seven. I, Paul, planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. Right. So this passage, along with others, inform us who recognize the sovereignty of God to not become unbalanced In our theology, right? That's easy to happen, isn't it? And to understand the way that God works as he builds his church. And so there are some who plant, others who water, some who share the gospel with someone else, others who may disciple that person, taking them from ignorance to maturity. But however, at the end of the day, it is God who gives the growth. And so because of that, we trust God to take our efforts in evangelism to produce faith. And so it is God who gets the glory as the giver of grace, the gifter of faith and the granter of repentance. And so there's theological consistency and balance when we open up God's word. And so although it's not exhaustive, in it we have all we need for the man or for the woman to come to proper faith in his creator. And the fact that it's not exhaustive, it's not a knock knock against God, rather our infinite or our finite minds don't have the capacity to contain God. So simply put, the infinite triune God cannot be exhausted in all of the universe or in every book that could possibly be contained by the universe. He is inexhaustible, but he knows us exhaustively. Isn't that a beautiful truth? to to be known by God exhaustively, to be known and loved for who we are despite ourselves. People live their entire lives making thousands, if not millions of attempts to be known by others, yet they fail, right? A life full of conditional relationships and fake love. Yet in Christ, we all have found what our souls have longed for, to be known and to be loved. And also, because of Christ, We see every reason in respect to why we do not deserve this relationship that we have with God. We also see why it is a terrible thing to be known by God at this level, because we can't hide from God. You could pick any place in the world, he's there. Any place in the universe, he's already there. And even in the places where you can hide from the world, your heart and your mind is not hidden from God. And so this is the great problem and joy of humanity to be known by God. But what we find in our text today is the efficacious love of God poured out on mankind. And it's for no reason outside of himself we have been formed into clay pots of mercy. We were the furthest thing from a diamond in the rough. We didn't give him anything to work with. There was nothing that God can get out of this relationship because he can't be added to. He is completely complete in every way and in every sense of the word. Yet in his manifested glory, he suffered for us who were worthless and unworthy of his love and freed us from his own wrath. This is the gospel of divine efficacious grace. And so today I want to focus on, again, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, and we're going to see three things. Who we were, the past tense, right, that old man. We're going to see who we are, present tense, the children of the living God. How has this happened, right, and in what manner, by what means did this transformation take place? And then in conclusion, we're going to look at the now what, right, so what, like what do we do in knowing these truths? And we are to live from this reality, to live from who we are. And so the gospel does something to our nature. The gospel doesn't leave us as we were. Although salvation cannot be lost, if we are truly saved, we will will not remain as we were, right? Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. And so I want you to notice something. In this verse here, you'll see the words you and were. They both show up four times in this one verse. Speaking of our past, such were some of you. Our condition, you were washed. Our acquisition, you were sanctified. And the fourth, our standing, you were justified. Declared righteous by and before or in the presence of mighty God. And so let's look back. Who were we? Um, if you're taking notes, write down um, Ephesians 2, verses 2 and 3, Ephesians 5, 8, and Titus 3:3, and you can dig into that on your own time just to kind of see the, the depths of depravity the human heart um, was in before Christ. But go back to verses 9 and 10 in our text today in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So who were we? We were sexually immoral. We were idolaters, Right. Adulterers, people who practice homosexuality. Thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers are people who speak abusively. And swindlers are a deceptive person. That's who we was. And so these are all various types of sins. And so let's define sin. Most people would define it as a transgression against the law, to violate the law. And we see this in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. However, sin is much more than that. Sin is to be in rebellion against the nature and the will of God. Sin is anything outside of what God would think, anything outside of what God would say or do. And sure, sin can be caused by outward influence, but it's primarily found in the depths of our own hearts. And from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so this was our identity, was sinner um, similar to the way that people wish to identify with their sin today, right? Many of our, in our culture want to be identified as a, a gay person today, right? Or I'm a trans person. And then you also have those in the world who wants to be known and identified as a good person. But you might ask, well, what's wrong with being identified as a good person? Well, the problem is, is is what you do is you'll throw away God's standard of morality and you'll create a standard of your own that you can actually meet. And so fallen humanity loves their sin so much that they wear it out in the open without embarrassment. And the greatest sin today is to not identify with or to not approve of the other people's sin or the sin of others. And so what's wrong with sin? Why is this even a problem to begin with? Well, not only does it result in the breakdown of society on God's terms, there is also the eternal consequence because of our unrighteousness, we are children of wrath. Check out the beginning of verse 10. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Everyone does not go to heaven because everyone is not a child of God. The unrighteous will not enter into his rest. Romans 1, 18, 19, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Right. So for the unrighteous on a day of judgment, what will be heard is depart from me. I never knew you. You worker of iniquity. So who is the you referring to in the first part of the text here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 11 and such for some of you. It refers to every one of us, right? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But what about the Jews, right? Aren't they better off than the rest of us? They had the law and the prophets. They were chosen to be God's people, right? And I have some friends who who bought into this grave idea that black people are inherently better than white people. And white people you're not off the hook because we live in a country that's known for white people thinking the same thing about themselves, right? Right? It's the truth. Hitler, right? He had similar thoughts and many people throughout um, society throughout all time always have felt one way towards another ethnicity. But Dr. Jonas says we are just as bad as all who we would find reprehensible. And he's absolutely right. I'm going to actually give you a chance to turn in your Bible for this one. we're going to look at Romans chapter 3. And we're going to look at a pretty good chunk, verses 9 through 20. We are just as bad as all who we find reprehensible. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all... Curses and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood and their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped. Every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. The whole world will be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in the sight of God, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And so I have a question. If we all have sinned and no one can be justified by the works of the law, do you agree that we have a problem? And the bigger problem is that while the law is a perfect mirror into our hearts, it cannot make us acceptable to God. But we know this isn't the end of the story, is it? And so this reality is so more, the text says, such were some of you, this is who you were, that means it's no longer who you are. Paul is reminding the church at Corinth um, about the dirt that God had to pull them out of. And this is coming from the Paul that used to be Saul, right? A persecutor of Christians. The last person that you would expect God to save has become an apostle, a preacher of the gospel that he once despised, a lover of the God that he once hated. His past no longer defines him. That's who he was. And he's reminding Corinth and us. That's who we used to be. And such were some of you. And so don't forget where you came from. This is a reality that actually ought to humble us. When we see others fall into sin, if not for Christ, that would be me, right? And if I'm being honest, it's who I used to be. And every once in a while, that old me wants to show its ugly face again, right? And so while our past no longer defines us, it's a reminder of the grace and mercy of our great God This ought to humble us. While our past no longer defines us, it's a reminder of what God can do for anybody because he's done it for us. This is a humbling truth. And so there's no such thing as an unsavable person. The love of God is actually driven by the depths of human um, depravity. He moved on our behalf. This is a humbling truth, and we're grateful for it. And so let's continue in the text at verse 11. Verse 11. And let's look at the beginning of the next sentence. There's a transition um, from reflecting on the past to recognizing what has happened after. And such were some of you, but. We love the buts in scripture, right? You used to be a drunkard. You used to be a homosexual. You used to be a reveller. You used to commit adultery. But when you were dead in your trespasses and sin, you were made alive in Christ. But God being rich in mercy, right? And in the riches of God's mercy, what has he done? Well, what God has done for us is summarized in this text by three statements. You were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified. Now think about something for a moment. Can it get any more disgusting than a rotting body in the grave? You could take a soap, a little bit of soap and some water. You can clean up the outside. But what about the inside? And so just as the body in the grave is rotten to the core, the same was true for all of us spiritually. And just as a dead man cannot clean himself up, neither could we. And so remember, I pointed out the words you and were mentioned four times. Um, Here you'll find it for the second time in the verse. That's who you were. But something has happened. You were washed. But notice Paul doesn't say, but you cleaned yourself up you got yourself together right you turned a new leaf but you you open your eyes um there's, there's a saying that go you have to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps but what if you don't own a pair of boots <laughs> to repent and to believe the gospel isn't something that our nature has the ability to submit to it's like shouting at a man with holes in his socks and no arms to pull himself up using bootstraps that he doesn't even own this concept is foreign to scripture the text doesn't say you cleaned yourself up, but you were washed. You no longer have to shout unclean like the leper. You have been made clean. Church, you have been made clean. Yeah. Turn your Bibles to John 13. Um, this, and we're going to read one of my favorite passages. This takes place before the feast of the Passover. And it's something that Jesus has done that actually reflects a bigger picture than what you see in the text on paper. John 13, starting at verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's brother, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And now he goes on to say that not every one of them were clean was clean because Judas was among them. The text doesn't say he didn't wash Judas's feet. So he's clearly speaking of a different type of washing. Um, the, point, the point here is much deeper than a display of humility, right? We aren't being taught how to show hospitality to our guests because I can guarantee you I'm not washing your feet if you come over my house. This text is actually saying, Jesus is saying, unless I wash you, you have no fellowship with me. And while the physical washing is a display of how dirty we were, I mean, think about it. Living during that time, they, they had, they're walking in the desert and on dirt roads with open-toed sandals, right? It's crazy. That's an example of how dirty and in need of cleaning the human heart was. The sin that we used to walk in, our feet needing to be cleansed by Jesus. David Guzik says this. We are grateful Jesus did not say, if you don't have great holiness, you have no part with me. We are happy he did not say, if you are not a Bible expert, you have no part with me. Having part with Jesus begins simply with receiving something from him, not achieving something ourselves. And so such were some of you, but you were washed And if you don't understand the doctrine of regeneration, this is a perfect picture here in this text. But something else has always also taken place. Um, We have been sanctified also. So not only were we washed, you were sanctified, set apart from the world unto God. Vessels of clay formed by God for good use. Um, In the high priestly prayer, Jesus prayed for us to be sanctified in the truth. And then he goes on to say his word is truth. And we'll come back to this later, this idea of being sanctified in the truth. But let me give you a little bit of a teaser. Um, Being sanctified in the truth is actually literal because the truth is a literal person. For all who have been sanctified are sanctified in Christ, who is also the literal word. And so sanctify them in the truth. Me, Jesus speaking, not me. Your word, me, is truth. And we'll come back to that. But you were washed, you were sanctified. And now what does it mean to be sanctified? We already know that sanctification is a process, right? A process by which we become more Christ-like. But the language in this text isn't speaking of something that has gradually happened. It's actually speaking of something that has already taken place, right? It says you were sanctified. Um, I read an article, and I'll leave it nameless because um, I just stumbled across it. I'm not sure if it's something that that anyone should go to. I'm not sure if it's solid, but there was something in it worth um, mentioning. It said, if there is to be one nation under God, then it will have to meet the qualifications of a nation. A nation has a distinct culture. Its education, food, arts, music, and economics distinguish it as unique This, in fact, is what God always wanted for his nation, one that would be distinguishable from all other nations on the earth, end quote. And so in the Old Testament, we see the way that God, what God required for them to be distinct in comparison to other nations. So in it, we see that they were set apart and chosen by God for God. They were distinguishable because something about them was different. And what made them different was their covenant with Yahweh, right? What made them different was physical circumcision. What made them different was their dietary laws, what they wore, their traditions and their festivals. They were distinguishable. Something about them set them apart from the other nations. They were sanctified unto God. And so that's the Old Covenant. And in the Old Covenant, you have the types and the shadows, right? But in the New Covenant, we have the substance and the fulfillment. While in the Old Covenant, you have the smoke, the sizzle, and the fragrance. In the New Covenant, we have the steak and the potatoes. And do we throw away the lessons that was taught to us by the tutor just because the teacher has arrived? No. We understand those, le- those lessons in a greater depth and in more detail. And if you read the book of Hebrews, you'll come to see that there's a lot brought out of the darkness and into the light. So you can understand with a greater at a greater magnitude. And so Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says you were sanctified. You have been taken out of the world and set apart by God, giving you, giving me A new identity, right? Remember, such were some of you, but you've been washed. You no longer identify as a sinner. You have been set apart as a saint, no longer defiled and stained by sin, but cleansed and holy unto the Lord. But how has this happened? We'll get to that a little bit later. But first, something else has taken place. So you were washed. You were sanctified. And then the text says you were justified. I think it would have been nice and merciful enough for God to simply wash us. And that's it. Sort of give us a fresh start. You know, take our account from the negative and put us at zero. Right. But that would still not be enough to set us. It would be enough to set us apart. um, Because while the world is still in the negative, we would be at a zero place. Right. Not bankrupt, but broke. Having nothing to offer. Right. But even with that, we would be deficient. lacking but in the riches of God's mercy and his glorious grace we have been justified meaning we have righteousness that has been deposited into our account we are declared righteous just as if we have never sinned and so we understand salvation is just as much as a process as it is also a done deal think about it work out your own salvation with fear and trembling Those who endure to the end will be saved. We are being conformed into the image of Christ, which obviously doesn't happen overnight. Salvation takes a lifetime and it crescendos in glorification after we are resurrected by Christ. And so why is it important that I mention these things? Because the doctrine of justification is where our assurance is rooted. Because of this, we have great hope in a faith that isn't blind. Because of this, we have a promise, not a maybe. The text doesn't say you will be justified or through sanctification, you'll achieve the justification necessary for me to forgive your sins. I think that would be a terrifying thing to know, knowing that the righteous will inherit eternal life. The text doesn't put this in the future. It doesn't even put it in the present it places it in history, something that we are looking back to, something that has already taken place. You were justified. And so this is why a Christian, this is why the believer can have, um, can have assurance and why we can be excited and we can know that if I die today, I'm good. Because salvation is a process, yes, because we're being sanctified, but justification happens the moment we believe. And so if we were to die right now, we would stand before God blameless. And so when we recognize this, there are implications that helps us to not become idolaters and heretics. Because it's a rejection of verses like this that keep Roman Catholicism alive, right? Just as Judaism still waiting for a savior that has already come, um, Roman Catholicism will have you working for a righteousness that has been freely given. No different from Islam, Jehovah's Witnesses, the Hebrew Israelites or Mormons, they all reject These type of verses, not always in word, but most certainly in deed and in doctrine, we are already washed. We aren't washing ourselves. We are already set apart. We are not adding laws around the covenants like the around the covenant, like the Pharisees did. And we are already righteous in the sight of God. So we aren't working in order to be called son or daughter. And so knowing that we have been declared righteous by God, the burden of the law, sin and death is no more. Now, that doesn't mean that the law is of no importance to the believer. Let's go to Romans chapter six. And and this is this is what many other faiths or religions would say about the believer that, you know, since you believe in that justification thing, that. Because you said this prayer and you believed that you can, you have this license to kind of sin and do whatever you want, right? That would be the charge that a lot of people would have to say. But that's not what we believe. Um, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How could we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ to God and Christ. This is not a license to sin. We just understand what that means to be justified, that the penalty of sin and death is no more. And so we don't live for our justification. We live from our justification, which makes living so much more enjoyable, doesn't it? Life is so much better when you're not overworked, but you work from a place of rest. And that's what we have the benefit of as believers. We work from our love for God, for the God that loves us, not for the love of a God who is against us. And a God, actually, that is so much for us that he didn't leave us where we were. But out of his love, he justified us. And as we move forward to the last section of the text, I want to say one more thing um, about justification. Actually, I'll start it out. And in the next section, I'll give my answer to this. But Shai Lin, he... Um, He made a statement about racism and I thought it was a great statement. He says, justification by faith is the key to eliminating racism. Think about it. Justification by faith is the key to eliminating racism. Now if you look at the comments on that post, um, I erased one that was on mine. Um, But you'll have a lot of arguments that you'll see in the media today. A lot of the propaganda, um, the same type of emotionalism that you'll find geared towards our white brothers and sisters from the so-called woke and conscious communities. Um, But there were also genuine there was also genuine misunderstanding and people who wanted to know, well, what do you mean by justification by faith being a key to eliminating racism? But um, if you understand the doctrine of justification, there's no question as to what this means. So let's transition into this last section of the text here. And so great. We've been washed. Right. We've been sanctified. We've been justified. But how? How did this take place? The good thing about God's word is you don't have to guess. You can just keep reading in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. That's how. And so it's true to say that being justified presupposes the fact that we've been washed, clean, and cleansed from sin. The fact that we've been washed and justified brings us to the conclusion that we are also distinguishable from the world. Being sanctified is an implication of justification. And as much as these are distinct from one another, they are of the same substance of salvation. That's why we can say salvation is also a process, because once this happens, sanctification Naturally proceeds, and ultimately, glorification is what we come to when we receive our perfect bodies and we are completely without sin. And so, what is Shylyn saying? We learn something about ourselves in these verses, and the way we view ourselves and others is forever changed because racism is rooted in the sin of pride, the idea, the idea that one ethnicity is greater than another. Even the Jew must boast in the Lord because the fact that God didn't choose them because anything inside themselves, right? This reflects God's heart, not their own. They were chosen despite themselves, just like us. Nothing in them was calculated by God in order for him to make that decision to save them. And so this is the language that's found in this text and all over scripture, that the work of God is necessary or else we would all be lost and under his righteous wrath that we actually deserve. And so this is my answer. Justification by faith leaves no room for pride because man sees himself as blind, pitiful, and naked before God, which causes him to recognize I am no greater or lesser than anyone else and in need of the same grace and mercy as everyone else. Which means in God's eyes, we all are the same and receive forgiveness and are declared righteous the same way, which is with an empty hand of faith in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. And so how does the doctrine of justification by faith eliminate racism? Because through this lens, the pride of man is properly found in the object of his faith, not in his skin color. And so this is the gospel of divine efficacious grace. How is it divine? Because God does it. How is it efficacious? Because God does it, right? This is all done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. The triune God is the author and the perfecter of our faith. There is no washing apart from the Trinity. There is no being sanctified or sanctification apart from the Trinity. And there is no justification apart from the Trinity, And so in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, God, the son, for his name to be mentioned, how great must his name be, right? We magnify Christ in our hearts because the Bible does. It is by his blood that we have been washed. The washing of his disciples feet was a picture of how he will wash away all of our sin. And it was all through the shedding of his blood on the cross. And remember, if you haven't been washed by Christ, you have no part with him. And if you don't have Christ, you don't have the father either. And so we are hidden in Christ, taken out of the kingdom of darkness. Now we're talking about being sanctified, set apart unto God. Yes, but to the son specifically, we are the bride of Christ. We have been sanctified for Jesus, the same Jesus that will be returning for this spotless bride. But spotless how? Because we are no longer who we was, right? We're no longer who we were. We've been washed, sanctified, and declared righteous. We are perfect because we have a perfect groom in Christ who is the representative of the believer. The Christ who wore our sin and guilt, nailing it to the cross once and for all. We have his righteousness imputed to us. This is where our justification and everything else lies. And so Colossians 2, 8-15, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head and rule of all authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Right. The greater light of the gospel by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision. Of Christ having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead and you who were dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him having forgiven us of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands this he set aside nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So all this is done in the name of the Lord Jesus, the mediator between God and man. If you read Colossians chapter three, you'll learn that our words and our deeds, even our thankfulness to God must be done in the name of Jesus. No wonder there is power in his name, right? No wonder why the Roman soldiers fell when he spoke. No wonder why the storms and, and the seas obeyed him and the de- the demons trembled. Um, a whole lot more can be said by Christ, about Christ, but let's move on. Um, and by the spirit of our God. And so let's not miss the fact that here at the end of this text that you have three that are mentioned. You have Jesus Christ and then you have the spirit of our God. The first is an obvious distinction, but um, there's a similar distinction in the phrase, the spirit of our God, because we all know that God isn't a man, right? He's a spirit. You see that in John 4, 24. Yet here we see the spirit of our God and not just a spirit from God, but the spirit of our God. And so we know in this context that the text, when it's speaking about God, the same way we understand the distinction between the word And God the Father, in John chapter 1, we understand that distinction here to mean God the Father. And so also notice this isn't everyone's God, but exclusively the God of the ex-sinner, right? The one who has become God's possession. God has cleansed us, set us apart, and declared us righteous. And if verse 11 is true of you, this is your God. If not, today is the day that God is calling you to repent and to place your trust in Jesus. You don't have to clean yourself up. Actually, you can. It's impossible, right? He's made a way, and this is something that he does. He gives us a way to escape his wrath and to become his child. He will convict you of your sin, right? He will overcome your doubting by gifting you faith. And when he does, grab to him because your eternity depends on it. And so we are born again by the work of the Spirit. We are convicted by the Spirit. We grow in knowledge of the truth because of the Spirit. We confess Christ as Lord because of the Spirit. We are conformed into the image of Christ all by the working of the Spirit to the glory of the Father. So in Christ, we have the substance. By the Spirit, we have the application and all of it is rooted in the foreknowledge and the decree of God the Father. Titus 3, 4-7 says... The glorious, perfect and effective work of the triune God. And so as we consider these things, let me leave you with one final passage as a point of application, because I know I went way over my time anyway. But this text is um, meant to encourage you. Um, Ephesians chapter four, we're going to read a good chunk verses 17 to 32. And so think about it. Think about your washing by God. Think about God pulling you out of darkness and saving you from your sin. And how are we to respond to the work that God has done in Christ and through his spirit? Ephesians 4, 17 to 32. And we'll pray. Now this I testify or I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and everything in chapter 6, verse 11, right? Let all of it be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for the work that you've done for us thank you for your heart towards us thank you for your love and thank you for giving us the ability to respond to it placing our faith in Christ thank you for your spirit making us new Lord I pray that you would use your word to challenge and encourage us throughout the week to continue to live from this position that you have placed us in and to forever be grateful by the way we live in our submission to you by being thankful um, for what you have done for us so, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to share your word. I pray that you were glorified.
2: In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.